Jesus is busy speaking to um, the crowds around him. And as he was doing so, his mother and brother stood outside asking to speak to him. Who knows how long it was since they'd seen him last or why they wanted to speak to him, but he, got, he heard that they were there. So someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. And Jesus asked, quite strangely, who, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is a very radical response, isn't it? Especially in a communal culture where relationships are so important. And in a way, he's redefining them. Um, he obviously still loved his mother on the cross. He said to John, you know, take, here's, your, here's your mother. So it's not a lack of caring. But he's saying, whoever does the will of God is now on that level. You know, we're the mother and sister and brothers of Jesus. Isn't that radical <laughs> and profound? And we're invited to enter into this journey of being his family. I've talked to two people this week who didn't go to church, don't go to church on Mother's Day because it's too painful. So if it's painful for you and you've still made it, well done. And God knows our pain. And it might be painful, as Nancy shared, your mother is far away. It may be you've wanted to have children and it hasn't happened. Or maybe you've got children and they neglect you. So whatever it is on Mother's Day, um, know that we serve a God who understands, knows us, and cares, and is with us. But beyond that, he's inviting us into this wonderful relationship of knowing that we are the mother and brother and sisters of Jesus. So the question is, how? How do you become the mother of Jesus? He said to do the will of God. And what is his will? When somebody asked him that, it's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And when he told that, remember the person said, well, how do I know? Who's my neighbor? And so today, most of this time now is going to be listening to people who've been listening to God and going, who is my neighbor? And how can I love and in so doing um, fulfill the will of God? So I'd like Deb and Jill and Lily to come up if you could take a seat on the stage here and we're going to hear their stories of how God has been leading them <clears throat> they've been a little bit warned but too much so be, <laughs> be with us all <laughs> Um, I want to start with you, Deb, because um, we've, we're looking mostly today at um, people who are reaching out because it's, we've been praying for Muslims in this 
time of Ramadan and interceding and looking generally at working amongst Muslim women. These are all mothers as well as <laughs> being good neighbours. <laughs> um, but Deb, you've, um, you were telling me the other day that you've done something really interesting in the last while. I know your whole life has been interesting, but in the last while you've started something fairly fresh. So I'm just wondering what was going on inside you when you felt to start this new thing? Um, so it came about um, because two years ago um, I had a, a serious accident where I fell from a height and landed on concrete onto my head. And consequently had, I've had the bones removed from my neck and there's now metal. But coming to terms with uh, the new norm was a massive thing. So a year on, I still hadn't had the courage to venture out down the steps of my house. And I had many, many limitations. And I didn't know what the new norm was actually going to look like. And I was feeling very uh, discouraged. And sitting there in my lounge, which is beautiful actually, it has beautiful windows out looking my road. And I was saying to God, well, you know, this is the last thing. I've had lots of things that have been lost in my life um, and now my health and where and what am I meant to do and what is my life going to look like from here on and sitting there I just felt the Holy Spirit guide my thoughts and the thoughts that came to me was well what do you have and I thought well I've got this house it's not mine and it's kind of old and run down and then as I thought more um, I looked out and I thought, I've got a neighbourhood. I've got neighbours. And then I started to dream about what I had and how God could use that to reach out to my neighbours. And, um, and that's where the journey began. Sorry, to do what I needed to do, um, first of all, I had to start walking because we weren't hardly doing that. Um, and I began doing little walks over lockdown, building up my strength. But when I, we, after lockdown, I decided to print a little leaflet um, and to go to my neighbourhood regularly, knock on doors if I saw people, talk to them. And I opened up my home on Wednesday mornings as a friendship home, an open home. Um, and, and from that, um, I've had, I also have open neighbourhood lunches and dinners. And actually, people that are interested, we get together and we have Bible studies on Saturday afternoons. It's very fluid. I don't require any commitment. It's an open home. It's not a meeting or a home church, if you know what I mean. It's just, I want people in my neighbourhood to know that uh, my house is a light and anything 
that they can drop in for a chat, they can come and eat with me, um, and they can meet other neighbours and have friendships. I have lots of interesting people turn up. The first people that turned up were actually the Christians, made themselves known in the street, which has been interesting. And, uh, and then um, that one particular lady uh, texted me one day and she said, are you having, your, are you having a Bible study this week? Um, and I said, yeah, we are having, there's a couple of people that are going to be meeting on Saturday. She said, I'd like to come. So when she came, um, she was an interesting lady. Uh, it ended up that nobody else turned up that day, but I think that was, that was actually the Lord. And she told me her story, and her story was that she grew up in Beijing, um, and her parents were um, you know, non-religious. Her, her father wouldn't even speak about anything that had anything to do with you know, Buddhism or anything like that. Her mum, a semi-practicing Buddhist, but it wasn't pushed in the family. She would often ask questions to her father about um, the extended family, like his family, etc., and he would just never answer. Um, they moved to New Zealand about 15 years ago, and yearly they would go back to visit her, her parents. And then about four years ago, she decided, I want to know about my grandparents. I want to know where our family came from. So she pushed and, you know, pushed conversations with her dad, and then she found out that her, um, her family had come from the northern part of China, and sorry, I don't actually know the detail but, um, of the area, but that he was a man that carried a black book and would go to all the different villages and talk about Jesus. And, he, and her father said, and he caused a lot of problems, and lots of, you know, people were in trouble, and there were people that died, and he said, and I just left. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. The cost was too great. Um, and so she didn't, so she found out from an auntie a few more details. So she traveled on her own to this area to see if she could make contact uh, with her extended family, and she met many. She met many, many believers and they told her all of these amazing stories. So when she came back to New Zealand and she saw my little note that had been put in her letterbox, and she came uh, to my house, she said, so I've come here to find out more about what my grandfather believed. And I was able to share with her and pray with her and just say, it was probably the prayers of your grandfather that brought you to my couch today. So, yeah, so there are some lovely things that are happening. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Um, so we'll see how much time we've got here, but ask, ask more stories afterwards because what a simple way of just putting a note in people's homes and what God has done through that. Yeah, and answering prayers from, yeah, many years ago. Yeah. So there, there are so many in our midst who just need someone to reach out and um, in a way God's prepared them, isn't he? Yeah. And I just one thing, it's not been, um, sometimes we're concerned about what we don't have, like I was, but then we need to be reminded about the simple things that we do have and those simple things 
with the Lord Jesus Christ can be a real blessing to other people. And then some of us, like Lily, hear the whispers of God and carry it in their heart for, for years until God just makes the way for them to go. And Lily's just come back. Out. She's out of quarantine this Tuesday, and she's been three years. Where have you been, Lily? Um, I have, um, I first of all, I just like thank you to everyone. Oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thank you for your prayer and your financial support and then your lovely letter, which she encouraged me so much. And yeah. I feel really supported and loved and cared. So thank you so much. So I've been to Turkey. I live yeah, I live in Turkey for three and four months, you know, and then came home and spent some time with my kids and also church family and other family. And that's why I came. So you've gone off to Turkey and you couldn't spend, speak the language, so you've had to learn some language since you've been there. But I'm wondering, how, how did you even meet people? How do you make friends? How do you, yeah, how does that work? Yes. Uh, yeah, first my role was uh, learn the languages. So I went to school, language school, learn the languages. And then at the same time, I got extra time. So I using for that time. My favorite activity was uh, I like to go out and meet the people and talk. Sometimes it can be on the streets, sometimes the market. Anyway, I mean, you got just uh, got opportunity airport. So for example, uh, I went to travel to other part of the Turkey and I waiting for the air, airplane. And then as I waiting, I have a coffee and then the lady who sell the coffee, we start the conversation. And then we did for a while, and then we exchanged the uh, phone number. After that, yeah, just the uh, relationship developed. So I went to her house, and we met outside. And then, yeah, just getting to know and build up relationship with that family. Turkey culture, uh, if you know one person, that extended to her family or their family. So met her mother and her children and her sister and yeah, just the whole family. So I was invited to Iftar, which is yeah, during the Ramadan, they have a special meal, breaking the fast in the evening. So met the whole people. And one case, uh, yeah, I, um, what was it? <laughs> Forgot. Oh, it's nervous, so. Um, yeah, um, one time I invite her our church, and then I talking about we have a service in English and also Turkish. And then she was surprised. Oh, there is a Turkish service. Talk to be a Christian. So she's surprised can be Christian, so they make me surprised. Oh, she doesn't know. So, yes, yes, there is a Christian. I mean, to be a talk can be a Christian. So, yeah, she been one time, and but uh, they did, but she asked me to pray for her, and yeah, 
relationships develop. Something like this. Do you find people are quite open to have you pray for them, even though they're Muslim? Uh-huh. I mean, they are very happy to pray for them because they believe uh, Isa, Islam is but as a prophet. So they always said, oh, I believe too, but um, doesn't go further because uh, I'm foreigner, so they want to be kind to me, so don't want to say this. So. <laughs> so. Yeah, but still they are happy to and happy to listen. Why did you become Christian? Because I got background of a Buddhist, so they are wondering about why I became a Christian. Then I explain about my testimony. It's a chance to open to share about the gospel and that what it meant to my life. It's life-changing and comfort. And yeah. I mean, best decision I made actually. So I explained to her, they find it interesting. Yeah, so they want to know. I sometimes send the, uh, when she was sick, so I send the some Christian song. She loved it. So it's hopefully pray. She's on the way to follow. So please pray for the people who share and listen the gospel. Have you been surprised that people didn't kind of shut the door? Oh, you're Christian, I don't want to talk anymore? Uh, some, I mean, some people, like, I mean, it's like you share, and then their response is, <laughs> then I know, I mean, they didn't agree, but don't want to against me. So even them, they're not, they, they communicate they're not interested, but you're still welcome as a friend? Uh, sure. They are, I mean, in Turkey culture, they are very open. You go street and can talk people, they are open. And then also they invite their house to talk and give a meal and sometimes they ask me to sleep there. <laughs> it's quite difficult for me. Yeah, they're very open, very hospitable. Mm. Mm. And what has this meant to you personally? I mean, feel um, God using even unbelievable to be a friend, it's very meaningful to me to be there. And also, as a Christian, uh, able to share. Whether they believe or not, it's not, um, I mean, I can't do anything. So just uh, leave it to God and then just, just to do my part. But there is a joy in it. Yeah, so trust God and he will do something sometime. And Jill, you've, you've lived all around the world and you came back to New Zealand um, more involved. You had been involved in the Spanish-speaking world, but totally. you've got involved in something different. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, as Jan says, we spent most of our living, working lives in Spanish culture, food, language, life, and everything overseas. And when I came back, I ended up um, turning that into my work here as an interpreter in Spanish. But at the same time, there was another push happening and I could see that this was happening because I, I guess during all that time overseas I'd never really encountered Muslims at all. But when I came home from the day we arrived on our doorstep, our next door neighbours turned out to be Iranians who were very, very welcoming and loving. And from there on out, every connection, 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 connection all around with, with Muslims. And so I really started to learn about them. And one of the um, most rewarding 
experiences from that is that I worked or I studied with a, um, a, an Afghani lady when we were doing the interpreting course and through connection with her over time, uh, she invited me to come and participate in a group that meets on a Friday night in Wesley um, who are Afghani women and uh, it's a sewing group and the connection started because I had materials available, offcuts and samples and I love sewing. So something as simple as that led to me getting involved and starting to be uh, participating in that group. Wow. Um, what was I going to ask you? <laughs> <laughs> um, so how, but you've, you've, okay, you had the sewing to get going, but then what kind of things do you talk about when you don't really know people and you don't know much about their culture and how do you connect? Um, I found that one of the best things to do is ask questions. Ask questions about their culture, ask questions about their experiences, ask questions about what they believe. Um, because the best way of understanding someone from another religious group is to ask them, what do you believe? How do you look at this? How do you look at that? At, um, I've, they've also come back with questions at times and it's become obvious as I've shared with them that I was a Christian and I'd never hidden, hidden that fact. But it's just talking about that plus also daily life. Most of them are mums, grandmums. Some of them have got a little bit of English. Some of them have got lots of English. And it's just connecting on a normal, everyday life level. Um, so do you want to tell us a bit more about how you get involved in their, in their everyday lives? Uh, quite a lot of them uh, come here, well, the majority of them come here as refugees. That's just the majority of the way that they, they come to New Zealand. Quite a lot of them come as uh, single mums who've lost their husbands, whose husbands have been killed, so they'll be a single mum with maybe two, three, four kids. Um, quite a few of them have been here for many years, and so their kids have grown up, and now their children are doctors and pharmacists. They love pharmacy for some reason, doctors, pharmacists, and other professions like that. And so we connect on all those different levels of talking about them, different situations. Also, um, there's some younger ones that have not got parents here or many family connections. They might have come here as the wife of someone. Um, and so they'll be brought to New Zealand with no connections, no English, no nothing. Um, and so over time, getting to know them as well. And then just being a listening ear because most of the Muslims here in New Zealand are trying to ride two cultures. So they come up with this situation where their girls are starting to get older and they're getting into teenage years and they're getting into being asked to go to sleepovers and they're going to other people's houses and all this kind of stuff that probably to us doesn't mean much or a great deal. Um, but to them it's major, absolutely huge, because pulling back is the husband who's who doesn't want any of that to happen. The wife is out there trying to make this work with her children and helping them to find acceptance in a, a dual culture that they're trying to live. Um, all this kind of thing that's going on in their endeavours to adapt to life in New Zealand. And so having the opportunity just to be a listening ear many, many times is just what is involved, basically, is just being there, listening, encouraging, sharing input when you can and just yeah, connecting and when the opportunities arise sharing faith as well 
And Jill, you've been going to this Friday night meeting for 11 years, is that right? Friday nights for 11 years, hear that? Yeah, Friday <laughs> night when you're just tired after a long week and you would love just to stay home and put your feet up. So what's kept you going? Only the Lord, to be quite honest. Because there's been a time I've driven out of that driveway and thought, oh, where am I going? Why am I doing this? What is going to happen? Is there anything that's going to happen? But Don prays for me every week before I go and... Um, the thing I ask God for is connection. Every time I go, a connection with someone on that, on that time, in that time. Um, I've also found that because I've been going faithfully for 11 years, there's been a confidence that's been built up in a relationship that gives me the platform to tell stories and to share my faith and some of my journey um, over the last few months, sharing with them about my health situation and just seeing how much care and love has grown in that time. Um, they love biblical stories. They love stories that relate to them that they have no idea are in the scriptures. There's also an awful lot in the Quran that you can take out and connect with because, for example, like Christmas, um, the birth of Jesus, the virgin birth, it's all in the Quran. And so there's connections there also that you can build on. Um, yeah, those kind of things. So how does this work? Because you're not the leader. How do you get to share at Easter and things? Um, in the beginning, after a good lengthy period of time there, I asked if I could share something. Because when Ramadan comes up, everything disperses. There's no activities going on because it's so focused on the family and their activities. So all of the, the normal activities get suspended. And... I don't know, maybe six years ago, something like that, I said to Fahima one night, I said, I would like to share something. I tell you, I <laughs> never expected it would be what it ended up being, but there's an ironic blessing in the scriptures that just says, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make a face to shine upon you. You know the one. And I felt whenever it comes to something in their culture and in their situation, because it is a very Muslim situation, I am... You know, apart from one other lady, the only person who's there. Her, um, and so I felt to share that blessing with them because it was truly something I could say I wanted for them. So it started with that. And then each time a, an event came up, whether it was Christmas or Easter, not Easter, Christmas or um, what do you call it at the end, uh, Eid or one of these other activities that are really important to them, then I would ask if I could say something. It could be a poem, it could be a part of the Psalms or part of Proverbs. It could be something that um, was a story. One, one year I shared with them the story of Mary and Martha. And Muslims will tell you that this is, Ramadan is such a special time to them and it brings them close to God and their whole purpose is to fast and to pray and to get closer to God. And so I shared the story of Mary and Martha in the scripture and talked about Mary and Martha and I said how many of these ladies are Martha's, not Mary's. Because they clean and they cook and they clean and they cook and they clean and they cook throughout Ramadan so I really don't know where they find the extra time that they want to actually spend time seeking God. So I encouraged them. I said, look, put it aside. Share it. Don't make it be the main, the main thing in your ac daily activity. If you really want to get close to God, then be a Mary, not a Martha. 
And, I mean, someone commented to, to Don and I um, last Monday, which well, was our special event, um, that these stories come back to us, even after several years that they've listened and taken this in. And so, yeah, that's sort of the way that I've gotten involved. And I said on one occasion that Fahima got up and talked and talked and talked about me before I spoke at a Christmas dinner, I think it was, and I said, gee, you said it all. What did you say? And in fact, she'd said it all before me. She'd taken it in my words out of my mouth, and I was staggered. But, you know, it's just that constant being there that has enabled me to get that far, I guess, with, with connection with them. Yeah, what I hear, Jill, went for about five years before the opportunity opened up, you know, so um, it's, it's beautiful stuff God's doing, isn't it? But you've had some helpers who've come for a little while and gone, have you? Yeah, different ones have come at different mm -hmm. times and different um, connections, whether they want they're there for a short time because they're home from overseas or whether they have a specific area that they want to try and work with mm -hmm. them in. Mm -hmm. But the whole thing of perseverance is, is actually a major because these things don't happen overnight with groups like this who mm -hmm. are so committed to their, to their, of their faith and their, way of, and their community, their culture as well, that, um, yeah... You have to persevere, and it's through the ups and the downs and the blessings and the nothing happening. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a wonderful, um, do you get inspired? I am a bit just hearing this. So thank you so much for sharing, you three, um, yeah, of, of just how God has led you, sustained you, and moved through you. And I'm sure there's a bunch of untold stories if you want to hear more of um, the opportunities and how God's been working there. So thank you so much. <laughs> Jerry's just having, Jerry, he's having a relax, but I want you to come up. <laughs> just to show you, you don't have to wait to be old before God uses you. I get Jerry up. <laughs> <laughs> You're the youngie, yeah. <laughs> so, Jerry, what what are you doing in terms of um, involvement? And you've, yeah, something you kind of listened to God about, and you thought I've got space for something more, in mission related. Well, I'm, I'm still recovering from being called a youngie. Um, <laughs> take it. Still 28. Um, you laughed. <laughs> Um, I, <laughs> um, I, um, sorry, am on a, on a small board for a small Christian charity called CBM um, New Zealand, which is Christian, formerly Christian Blind Mission, um, but it's a board that looks at, or an organisation that's um, in several countries that is working to help the disabled in um, the majority world. So, for example, the disabled in Cox's Bazaar, the Rohingya um, in Bangladesh, um, CBM is there trying to advocate and provide support for disabled Rohingya refugees. Um, so it's kind of the least of the least um, is, is their, their aim. 
um, and I would love to be in Cox's Bazaar helping, um, but for various reasons I am not. Um, but I um, saw an ad on a, um, a Christian lawyer's network that they were looking for someone with legal skills. Um, and so I said, oh, I, I, could, I could do that. So I can sit in a board meeting in a few times a year, four or five times a year, and contribute what I have, um, which isn't on the ground in Cox's Bazaar or in Africa or anywhere that's amazing around the world. It's in Auckland, but um, it's my contribution towards the bigger picture. Amen. Thank you.